Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. ThatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, coming to you from Drizzly Corvallis. Uh, I think we got a great show for you guys today. Um, obviously, there was some big-time basketball played over the long weekend, and all in all, I, I would say things went pretty well for the Beavers. Uh, I've also got a great guest coming up later. I, I thought about doing a little tease on the person's identity, but that uh, that doesn't work quite as well in podcast form, since you guys can just read the episode description and figure it out that way. And if you have read that description, uh, you already do know that my guest is Michael Gretler, uh, third baseman for the Beavers 2018 national title team. Uh, Michael was always one of my favorite interviews during his time in Corvallis. Uh, I'm really excited that um, I was able to twist his arm and, and get him on the show. Uh, so we'll we'll get to Michael uh, in a bit here. But uh, first off, we, we've got to start the show with some basketball talk because there were three Civil War games uh, in four days last week, and uh, it did all, all start Friday um, at Matthew Knight Arena, a, a game that the Oregon women pulled out 77-68. Uh, the, the Beavers didn't shoot it particularly well from three that game, which is such a huge part of their offense, uh, but still find a way to kind of hang in. And I thought that was going to be a good sign for them heading heading into Monday's rematch. And for once, I, I ended up being right about something because the Beavers did flip it around uh, to hand the Ducks their first Pac-12 loss. Uh, final score Monday was 67-62. On the men's end of things, Oregon State wrapped up the season sweep of the Ducks with a, a fairly comfortable runaway 72-57 win at Gill. Uh, the Beavers played a, a pretty poor first half overall, at least on the offensive side of things, uh, but we're still in it, just down a point. And man, uh, in, in the second half, Oregon just uh, Oregon just fell apart. It was turnovers, poor shot selection, uh, undisciplined play on both ends of the court. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Oregon State, uh, the superior team, and clearly deserved a win, but man, this, this Oregon team is just somewhat baffling because they, they clearly have talent, even with Bull Bull going down to an injury. There, there's still a lot of good players out there for him, but things just haven't come together, and, and Dana Altman is really running out of time here to figure it out. Looking at the Pac-12 standings, uh, the Beaver men and women are, are both in second. Um, on the men's side, Oregon State has sole possession of, of second place, uh, three games back of Washington. Uh, the Huskies certainly look like they're in great shape to win the conference. Uh, the the Beaver women uh, share second uh, with Stanford, two games behind the Ducks. Uh, and if you are an Oregon fan, uh, Civil War split was actually a pretty good result over the weekend. Uh, the Ducks already trounced Stanford. And just like the Huskies on the men's side, uh, Oregon really does seem like uh, they're, they're in strong position to claim the title. 
One final note on basketball. Uh, I do have to compliment the crowds for all three of the games. Uh, I I was not in attendance Friday night. I was covering the Lake Oswego Tiger Boys for the Oregonian. But I I know it was a sellout and and heard they had a tremendous crowd there at Matthew Knight Arena. And and Saturday night was was pretty crazy at Gill. That might have been the best crowd I'd seen it in a couple of years in the old barn, and Monday may have even topped that as Gil was sold out again and really loud throughout the entire game. Uh, Scott Rook even addressed the crowd after it and thanked them all for their support, which was also his 200th victory at Oregon State. So it was a great night for Coach, great night for the Beavers, and really it was a good overall weekend for Oregon State. Sure, Oregon did enough to remain in control of the women's race, but Oregon State protected home court and finished off a men's sweep. Uh, I, I enjoyed all of the games. Uh, I'm sure most of you guys did uh, as well. It, it really was a fun weekend of basketball in the Beaver State, and, and it was just great to see both arenas so full. Before we bring on Michael Gretler, I want to let all of you know about thatcast.com. Uh, there are a bunch of uh, podcasts to check out. I actually recently listened to the latest episode of Billy Gates's Behind the Clubhouse Door uh, Billy, he's he's all over the Portland Diamond Project and their mission to bring Major League Baseball to the Rose City. Uh, you could check out that podcast, uh, plus ma- many more, on thatcast.com. Uh, the Beaver Buzz podcast, uh, we're also available now on iTunes, Spotify. So there, there are a few different ways to keep up with uh, all the latest happenings in Beaver sports. As always, uh, thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe. And uh, we'll be right back here with Michael Gretler. Redline special because we got three different types of training going. We have 20 minute speed, 20 minute skill, and the rest is uh, weightlifting. It's really cool, so it's going to get me really ready for college. Come down and join the Redline team here in Clackamas online at redlineathletics.com. Want to grow your money and avoid pitfalls in financial planning? Check out Chuck Price and Investing Simplified. Find it and other shows on the ThatCast Network. ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. All right. Well, since it's episode three of the Beaver Buzz podcast, I figured it was time to uh, bring out some of the big guns. And I can't think of anyone better to come on the show and talk a little uh, baseball and former Oregon State third baseman Michael Gretler. Uh, 10th round selection by the Pittsburgh Pirates who had a strong showing last summer for the West Virginia Black Bears, a uh, short season, uh, single-A affiliate of the Pirates. Um, as I'm sure most of you know, Michael was the starting third baseman uh, for the past two Oregon State teams uh, that reached the College World Series. Uh, he was one of many heroes last summer as the Beavers went on to win their third national title. So, Mr. Gretler, uh, thanks so much uh, for coming on the Beaver Buzz podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Bob. I'm excited to uh, talk some baseball. Yeah, so what what is new with you, uh, Michael? Uh, just getting ready for uh, spring training and uh, getting ready to head down to uh, Florida then? Yeah, yeah. I've been in Corvallis um, all off season along with uh, a couple of teammates for the past couple of years, uh, KJ Harrison, Trevor Larnick, and Stephen Kwan. Um, we've been hitting and working out and uh, conditioning, um, just hanging out, having a good time, getting ready to go. So we're all excited for our first, or KJ's second full season, but um, for all of us guys who are on the team, it'll be our first full season. So we're excited to get going. Yeah, no, I mean, t- since you're in the thick of all this, I actually kind of wanted to ask you this so we can just get right to it. Um, 
you know, Manny Machado, he finally agreed to his mega deal this week. It looks like Bryce Harper, probably sooner rather than later, will also be signing. You know, as a guy yourself fighting to get up to the big leagues, what, what do you think of the way uh, all these Major League Baseball offseason contract no- negotiations have gone? Because it's been a little different this year, obviously, and there's still, what, maybe 20 or so uh, starting caliber guys that haven't signed. What's it kind of been like as a minor leaguer aspiring to get to the big leagues, what, watching all of these interesting contract negotiations play out yeah you know i think i was talking to uh, my girlfriend's dad about it last week actually i think it's a you know it's a very interesting time in baseball i think a lot of you're starting to see a lot of the front offices kind of go uh more analytical um they're getting a lot of guys um in the front office that maybe didn't play baseball but have you know a very good understanding of uh contracts and and stuff like that and i think you're kind of seeing a you know obviously you see a standstill every offseason with the uh free agents who uh, have to kind of wait, maybe not the, you know, top-tier guys. You have to wait if you're not one of those guys to see where the top-tier guys go. Um, So it kind of creates a, you know, freeze in the market. And I think, like I said, with all these analytical front offices, you're starting to see, um, you know, the big 10-year, $300 million contracts can tie you down for a long time. Um, And I think teams are kind of starting to realize that that may not be uh, in their best interest. Um, for every team, obviously, so they kind of have to wait and see how things go. But you know, as a minor league, you're looking up at it, and you can only, you know, it, it takes your breath away seeing the, the the size of these contracts. And you know, you hope that one day all your hard work will pay off, and you know, you'll be able to sign one of those contracts. I mean, do, do you feel like the the minor league system needs to be fixed? I think that's a very popular opinion out there. I mean, certainly once you get to that second, you know, major league contract, you can make so much money. But I think as most people know, minor league salaries are are relatively small overall, and, and it can be really tough for guys to get by. I mean, do you, do you see is there an obvious way to kind of maybe fix this minor league salary structure where you can get paid maybe a little bit more earlier on in your career, and then maybe the top end salaries at the end are brought down a little bit? Yeah, you know, I think that would that'd be great. I think that you know, I think that's something that's kind of come to the top front of the conversation the last couple of years. Is you know, guys are making you know less than ten thousand um, dollars their first couple of years in the minor leagues. I don't think that's fair to them because if you you know you make more working at McDonald's, which is you know I think a joke a lot of guys make. But um, you know, I think it, it's tough. Obviously, I think you know these teams um, think that if they can you know go out and draft. 50 guys and, you know, a couple of them make it, then it's, you know, it's a low-cost, high-reward system for them. Um, they have a lot of the power, obviously. But, yeah, you know, I'd love to see some change. I think that, I don't know if you, you know, create a minor league minimum salary where it's, you know, 30 grand a year and, you know, you have 30, 35 guys on a minor league roster and it, maybe it costs the team, you know, the big league team $7 million in the long run. Long run. Um but I don't know. I'm excited. I think that, you know, the more we talk about it, the more the conversation picks up. It's exciting and, you know, to see see the answers to, to try to solve this problem. Well, so from an on-the-field perspective, how, how did you enjoy your, your first season of pro ball? I mean, what, what what was it like going from being a college student? And obviously, you guys aren't just regular college students. I think most of uh, most of the main, you know, baseball players at Oregon State are all rec- recognizable faces on campus. So what was it like kind of going from that? To being a professional uh, in in just a ma- you know a mere matter of days, obviously for you. Yeah, um, it's a lot different. You know, I think you you know from the second you show up, that's something that the coaches here at Oregon State stress a lot. Was you know, Coach Casey's like, make sure you enjoy every day being around your teammates because when you get to the next level, it's it's not the same. And you know, I think guys are kind of like, oh yeah, you know, kind of whatever. But then when you really experience it firsthand, you 
you do see the difference right away. I mean, obviously, you know, you make a lot of good friends in pro ball because you're together all the time, but it's just, it's not the same as it was in college. You know, we were, you're, you're with 35 of your best friends, um, especially the teams that we were on the last couple of years. It was, we were all unbelievably close. We love being around each other. So, you know, it's just different from that aspect. Um, you know, you really, you see guys maybe in, you know, the minor leagues who, aren't fully committed to the team wins and that type of thing, which is tough for guys coming from a college program, I think. Um, you know, there's also guys that are obviously very competitive and want to win, but it's kind of more about that individual development rather than in college when it's all about the, the team success. Well, I certainly watched you guys the last few years, and I know that at Oregon State, it was a team-first approach from everyone. I think I think most people know that. So just how often do you – Personally, then, how often do you kind of think back to uh, the College World Series in Omaha from the last couple of years? You know, probably particularly last summer, because I, I know from you know my standpoint, if I'm going to be honest, I mean, it, it really does pop into my head fairly regularly. I mean, we were there for what 14, 15 nights. That's obviously uh-huh. a long. T- it's obviously a long time to be away on a, on a business trip, and it's certainly not like it was a boring trip either. I think really, other than maybe one of those Mississippi State games. I'm not sure you guys really were involved in a boring game. So just kind of how often do you think back to those memories, you know, 2017, 2018, and what you guys were able to do back there in Nebraska? Yeah, I mean, I think about it all the time. I mean, those are, you know, obviously uh, memories that I hold very close to my heart. And, you know, obviously staying in touch with those guys that, you know, kind of take all these jokes about telling war stories with guys when you see them. And, I mean, we, we kind of do that all the time about it. I remember when this happened. I remember that, when that happened. Um, but, yeah, it was just an unbelievable experience. You know, I think in – 2017, obviously, you kind of get that bitter taste in your mouth from, you know, getting a taste of it and not, uh, you know, ultimately winning it. Um, so, I mean, you can use that for what that feels like. You can use it for motivation. And then at the same time, knowing that in 2018 we won it all, um, you can look at that and that whole experience and say, okay, if I do put in the work and I believe in myself, like, this is what's possible. So it's cool to have a little bit of both there. Um, in back-to-back years, you can kind of look back on and say, you know, learn lessons from both sides of the uh, spectrum. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the, the motivation part, and I, I certainly remember you know, such a big storyline really all year last year seemed to be that that motivation from, from coming up short, you know, against LSU at the College World Series. And, and really many of the key pieces from the national title team, uh, you guys were, you were part of that 2016 team that actually missed the NCAA tournament. And then yeah, eliminated early the, the following year. So, so you would say that those events really did provide kind of a, as much fuel as it maybe it's been made out to be. Because I was always wondering if that was somewhat of an overblown narrative, just because you guys are so competitive, you know, naturally. But, but you would say, you know, from 2016, 2017, kind of coming up short at the end, both of those years, that that really was kind of what did ultimately fill you guys uh, last year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think anytime, you know, experience is the, the greatest teacher you can have. And, you know, for the guys that were on the team in 2016 when we didn't make the, uh, you know, the play, um, it left a chase in all of our mouths. I think that was, for a lot of us, that was the worst feeling in the world, especially since we had done it the year before as freshmen. And I think, you know, we always expect to improve year to year. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was very, very hard to take. But, you know, then you, like we said, use it for motivation. We got to the World Series and, Again, then, you know, the, the thing is that from day one when you show up at Oregon State, it's, you know, it's every, the, the, it's made clear that winning a national championship is the expectation. Um, and I think we all believed in that. And when, even when we got to Omaha, you could say, yeah, it was a great year. We only lost six games, but it's like we came up short. We didn't win the national championship, uh, which is what we all came here to do. And then we used that for fuel for 2018 when we, uh, did accomplish that.
Well, 2018 College World Series, uh, there, there's a million different directions we could go with that. Uh, but is there a particular moment or play or, or sequence of events that you often find yourself kind of thinking back to more than anything else? Because I, I, I can list off a, a few different things, but for me, there really is kind of one thing that I, that, that always will stand out to me that I always gravitate back to. I, I was just curious. If, is there that moment or play or anything like that for you? Do you have one, or is it just kind of the collective whole of everything? Um, you know, I think it's um, – but at the same time, kind of just the rabbit hole. It's easy to say, like, oh, Trevor's home run, because I think when he hit that, that's the first time in the, the final series that we were like, okay, like, we doubt, but it was like that really kind of, you know, gave us all the momentum, and it was like, okay, it's ours for the taking. Um, and then, but you got to look back and say, in order for, you know, Trevor's home run to happen, Caden had to get a hit and tie the game. And in order for Caden to get a hit to tie the game, someone had to get on base. And then you go to the Zach Taylor walk to lead off the, the ninth inning. So, like I said, it's kind of a rabbit hole. You know, you think immediately Trevor Lawrence's home run comes to mind. And then, you know, you think about the things that led up to that moment that made that moment possible. So, um, I mean, the collective, the memories and, and just looking back and watching the video, it, it, it still brings that excitement like it just happened. Yeah, I mean, you went to uh, you went to right where I always go, which I probably isn't a surprise to anyone. You know, I, I was just kind of curious. I actually popped on uh, game two of the finals just yesterday, wanted to kind of jog my memory and, and see if you know see if everything kind of unfolded the way I remembered. And it, it was actually kind of funny just just how closely I did remember everything. And I mean, you mentioned it. It, it kind of started in the bottom of the eighth when Abel came in and just slammed the door. And then yeah, Taylor working the walk. Armstrong, he bunted, you know, bunted that head high fastball to bunt him over. That was pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Madrigal, Madrigal grounding out. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Grenier comes up and uh, just flares that pop up down the right field line. And you know, I, I think we all kind of know what what happens next after that. I, I probably asked you this back in the moment. I can't really remember. But what was the dugout like? throughout that entire inning when, you know, some different guys were in, you know, in really important spots and things, you know, didn't seem great, but you really, you were only down one run, I guess. What was kind of the dugout like during that entire sequence? Yeah, you know, I don't think, nobody doubted. There was no like, oh my God, we're going to lose this game, anything like that. You know, we all believed that, especially the way we've won games in the past, the last couple of years, like I said, it was just, it seemed like there was a little bit of late inning magic that, you know, and we feel like we hadn't gotten a lot of breaks in the World Series um, with just how things were going. Obviously, we uh, kind of had our backs up against the wall the entire World Series. Um, and I think that's why that Trevor Hornick home run uh, meant so much. It was kind of like that's the first time where it was kind of like, we can, you know, we have a chance to, to slam the door and end this right after that. Um, but, yeah, it was just a – I mean, what a roller coaster of emotions going from, you know, being like, hey, we got to score, you know, one to tie, we got three outs left, and then obviously the Caden pop of you you're like, hey, that ball, you know, it just looks like it's caught. You know, you see guys running over to you, like, there's no way that it falls, and then, you know, it does happen to fall. And, I mean, credit to Caden. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about it before, but just his ability to move on from that and not, you know, dwell on it and be like, oh, my God, the game should have been over, but to come back and get the huge hit to tie it, and then, you know, obviously the Trevor home run. It was it's a roller coaster of emotions, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, Caden, unbelievably clutch. And then Trevor, I mean, that, that 2-0 fastball that he just crushed. I mean, that, that had to be – it was that one of the hardest-hit balls live you've ever seen? I mean, I don't know. That that thing never got, what, more than 12 feet off the ground? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think he was ready for it. I mean, talking to him about it afterwards, he was like, you know, I just 2-0, like I didn't try to do too much. I just 
uh, told myself to get ready super early, and you know I think he obviously was banking on a fastball coming, and he, uh, yeah, he uh, he definitely put a very good swing on it, and the rest is history. I mean, I I remember that that game that finish was just so wild. I I can barely even remember anything that happened in Game Three of the Finals just because of just the events that occurred in Game Two. I, I certainly do remember that you were robbed of an infield single. I, I'm still not sure what the scoring was on that. And Abel was obviously pretty good in the in the final game as well. Uh, what 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 I guess what are some of your memories from that third game of the College World Series Finals? Maybe maybe the the post game celebrations probably up there. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the thing. Game three was obviously, you know, it was a great game. Kevin was unbelievable, which I think he was almost so good it took a little bit of air out of the game. Uh, as funny as that is to say, obviously, with the events that had occurred in game two, you know, just the night before. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, when Trevor's home run went out, it was kind of like, hey, we're playing tomorrow and there's no way, the feeling was there's no way we're losing. Um, and then obviously for Kevin to, you know, start off the game the way he did and keep it rolling, it was just kind of like, it was almost smooth sailing, as uh, you know, funny as that is to say. Um, I think that was almost our least stressful game of the entire World Series, which is pretty funny to say that that was for the national championship. But you know, that's that's just how it works sometimes. I mean, what was it? Was it the feeling that you guys just thought you were in control, or what, were you guys kind of tired at that point? Because I actually remember, you know, in Game Two, we, going back to that, you you actually caught the final out that double play that was turned, I mean, Mulholland to Madrigal to you who were over at first at the time. And I just mm-hmm. remember you, you you actually took the ball and you kind of just were slowly walking it back to back to the mound as you guys did the post game handshakes. Did were, were were you guys just kind of exhausted from the moment at that point, or were you really confident? I guess do you, do you kind of remember what what was going through your head after you cut that final out yeah i think like i said it was mostly confidence you know i think that was the feeling immediately you know we keep going back to the trevor home run but like i said that moment kind of just gave us all the confidence that okay like this is ours we're gonna win this um and and then we just kept it rolling obviously when you have a performance like kevin's where the other team just can't get anything going offensively and the entire momentum uh is on our side then you know we played really good when we get ahead early and we got ahead early and then just kind of rolled with it so it was like I said, it's funny that the most important game of the season, obviously, was almost less, uh, the less stressful one, the least stressful one. So that was, uh, you know, but like I said, that's just how it works out sometimes. Did, did you ever get the sense that Case was pondering retirement at all last year? Because I, I definitely remember thinking that later on in the College World Series, he, he, he was looking pretty beat. Now, granted, he's just such a grinder and competitor, and there was so much on his plate the last couple of years. So it's very understandable. Um, and also, in fairness, I, I don't think he maybe was the only one that was feeling a, a little bit beat maybe by the end of that. But, you know, anyway, did, did you ever get any retirement vibes at all from him throughout at any point last year? No, not at all. I mean, anytime anyone would talk about it, we always, everyone was just kind of like, well, like, what the hell else is he going to do? You know, it's just, he, he loves coaching, he loves helping guys out. And, I mean, so there was just never a thought that, like, oh, yeah, he's going to retire at the end of this year or anything like that. But, you know, obviously we all respect his decision and, you know, we're happy that he can, can enjoy some time, you know, with his family and, and watch Joe play, obviously. Well, yeah, I mean, he did retire. Pat Bailey, you know, running the show now. And from my standpoint, it doesn't appear that too much has changed. Uh, Beaver started out 4-0 last weekend, looked really good again, pitching, hitting, defense. It, it was pretty classic Oregon State. And, you know, uh, Pat, Pat Bailey, uh, he, he's a great guy, as I think most people know, and re- really similar to Case in, in many ways. And, and it does look like this year's team's going to just keep rolling on. You, you really, you have a good Bailey story. Anything for me from, from the four years you spent around him in Corrales? 
No, no, like you said, he's, he's an incredible guy. He cares, he cares so much. Um, you know, he's just, he's, he's very organized. He, you know, he knows what he wants to accomplish every single day. And, you know, he's really good at it. I think he saw it that, uh, first game against New Mexico. He, he understands the game so well and understands the players so well that he, uh, isn't afraid to make any, any amount of changes at any time during a game. And when you know your players as well as, you know, him and Jeske and Jenks do, you're able to put guys in situations where, uh, you know, they're set up to succeed, whether that is, you know, you saw a freshman come in and get the game-winning hit uh, in the ninth inning, and I think a lot of coaches might be a little hesitant hesitant to do that. But, you know, like I said, when you know your players so well and believe in them, then you can put them in situations like that where they have the opportunity to succeed. Adley Rutschman, College World Series, most outstanding player. Uh, to the surprise of no one, he was hot again last weekend, hit a couple home runs as the Beavers won all four of those games. And, you know, I, I remember uh, the coaching staff, Coach Yeski and Casey, ra- raving about him before he even played a game his freshman year. But, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily a great offensive player as a freshman, even though his receiving abilities behind the dish were, were quite advanced. I guess for, for you, what, when did you realize that Adley was such a special player and a guy that, you know, maybe would end up being the number one overall pick in the MLB draft? What, did you remember back when, when you first noticed, like, shoot, man, this guy this guy's special? Um, honestly, I think it, you know, you just saw it when, it was right when he showed up, you know, he was, he was, you know, kicking for the football team and he was, you know, leaving Friday scrimmages during the fall to travel with the football team. And I mean, that takes a special guy. Um, and you know, I think part of the reason why he, you know, maybe didn't perform as well his freshman year offensively was just because of the amount of reps that he missed in the fall. Uh, but also just, you know, having to learn, as a catcher, you have to know all the signs, and you have to be able to work with Yeski on pitch calling. You have to understand your pitchers. Like, he had so much to worry about from a defensive set standpoint that I think, you know, maybe you do put the, the hitting on the back burner. And then, obviously, he, you know, once he was experienced enough to handle the pitching and not really have to think about it as much his sophomore year, you, you know, he was able to focus on his hitting, and you look what happened. I mean, he's, I don't think there's any doubt he should be the first pick in the draft just you know, switch hitting catcher who, you know, has a cannon for an arm and he's just a complete bag. He's a great guy, hard worker, humble. I mean, you can't say enough good things about him. Well, this year at Oregon State, there's, there's actually another Gretler on the team, uh, freshman infielder, uh, Matthew Gretler. And, you know, he got into, uh, I think he got into one game last weekend, uh, went 0 for 2 and I'm sure he'll get that, uh, that first college hit sooner rather than later. Uh, what, so what is, uh, what is the scouting report on your brother? I, I know from the, I know from the roster and seeing him, he's a little smaller than you, right? Yeah, a little, a uh, little stockier. Um, you know, I think he, I think he broke every single one of my, uh, high school hitting records. So, uh, you know, he's, gonna, he's always been, he's always played up. He's always been around me and my friends. Um, you know, very competitive. Um, you know, there's stories of him, you know, sliding on the concrete when we're playing whistle ball in the front yard or, you know, in the front street. But that's just who he is. You know, he always felt like kind of a little chip on his shoulder, I think, to show that he could play with me and my friends who are, you know, four years older than him. Um, I think he's, you know, he's got a great opportunity now to, you know, help help bring another national championship to Oregon State. Well, yeah, everyone knew the Beavers were going to look different in 2019. It was unavoidable. I mean, lost six players to the draft, yeah, and, and that doesn't even include uh, you know, Jack Anderson, Luke Heimlich, Kyle Novak. So just several leaders and important guys gone. And, and really, other than you know, other than the guys in the locker room, I think you're probably still just about as plugged in as anyone. Considering you've got a brother uh, on the team and know so many of the guys, so you know, Oregon State picked to finish third in the Pac-12 by the coaches, which you know may have been a bit low. 
but but do you see any reason why why these guys you know can't put together another Omaha run this this spring? I mean, it, it seems like this team really does have all, all the pieces you need. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the pitching and defense wins games, and I think that's something that you know Yeski and Bales uh, and James did an incredible job of just stressing that. And you know, the pitching staff. I think they only lost Luke and you know maybe Drew if you include him from the previous couple of years. Um, so I mean they're they're set up to succeed very well. You know they have a great great rotation, a great bullpen with you know two All Americans in there, um, and then you know the offense. I think the offense is going to come together well. You know they might not have the uh, 19 home run. Well, I just rushed, but you know uh, <laughs> maybe a little bit of lack of power uh, compared to last year, obviously. But you know looking at last year's team, I think that was that was such a special team that. Like you said, there were six guys drafted. I mean, there was just so much talent on that team. Not that there's not talent here, but we were all older as well. We were juniors and seniors, and I think on this team there's a lot of, you know, freshmen, sophomores, juniors. Um, so it might take them a couple games, but, I mean, you saw the against Minnesota the, the offensive explosion, so it's, they're definitely capable of it. And like, like you said, there's no reason that they can't put together another Omaha run. When you're down there in Florida, are you going to make sure you can find a way to, to get Pac-12 Network so you can follow along with these guys when, when, when they are on television? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I uh, have my parents' uh, Comcast login, so that's already uh, <laughs> programmed in the computer ready to go. I'm kind of pissed that there's uh, no live stream down down in Arizona, so I wasn't able to watch those. But uh, just follow them on the radio and, of course, the live stream as well. Yeah, I know. That. I'll have to talk with Hank about that because everyone always wants uh, always wants a live stream of the games in Arizona. It's never available. Yeah. It's really too bad. Well, yeah, Michael, hey, so. really, really appreciate the time. Once again, thanks for joining me on the Beaver Buzz podcast. Great catching up with you, and hey, bet, best of luck as you uh, as you head down to Florida next week to to bring that to begin that second season of pro baseball. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. Really appreciate you having me on. I enjoyed talking to you. Navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary. Now, here's the good news. Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24-7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Simplify. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. Anna Canzano hosts That Expert Show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, that was sure fun to catch up with Michael. Uh, he's he's one hell of a player and even a better guy. I, I have no doubt that we'll we'll get to see him play in the big leagues one day, uh, maybe for our beloved Seattle Mariners. Uh, I, I know the audio quality uh, wasn't perfect for that interview, but but hopefully the content was, was strong enough that you guys could overlook it. Uh, as, as you know, I'm still 
uh, relatively new at the whole podcast thing, and we'll get better at, at recording interviews as, as I go. Uh, th- thanks again for working with me on that front. You know, before uh, I wrap things up here, I also wanted to add uh, that the standings updates uh, I gave earlier were, were obviously through uh, last week's games. I'm not 100% sure uh, when this pod will uh, ultimately post, and I know Washington and the Arizona State men uh, both play Wednesday night. Uh, so uh, when most of you are listening to this, uh, the standings might be a little bit different, uh, but my previous point uh, does remain the same. The, the Beaver men and women both have to like their positioning uh, in the Pac-12 as we uh, as we approach March Madness. Looking uh, at the upcoming week, it, it's going to be uh, another few pretty busy days of Beaver sports. Uh, the baseball team opens uh, a four-game series with Nebraska on Thursday uh, down in Surprise, Arizona. Uh, the Beavers will uh, host West Virginia uh, the following weekend to kick off their home slate. Uh, do yourself a favor and uh, don't don't look at the long range weather forecast. Uh, early season home games are, are always a bit iffy. We we all know that, but I, I'd be surprised if they don't get all three of those games in. I also wanted to give a, a shout out to the Oregon State softball team. Uh, they they started eight and zero before dropping consecutive games last weekend. You know, with all the the drama that is surrounding the Oregon softball program, you know, maybe Oregon State and Laura Burke's club can uh, can gain the upper hand in that rivalry this year. On the men's basketball front, uh, it's just just another critical week for the Beavers as they head down to LA. Uh, Oregon State plays UCLA uh, Thursday night, and they'll come back with uh, USC on Saturday. Uh, I I will admit uh, I'm one of those crazies still trying to piece together an at-large NCAA tournament resume for the Beavers, and I don't think they can really do worse than a split this weekend and have any shot at getting one of those bids because you know even if all a lot of things go their way and they can get to 12 and 6 in Pac-12 play that that's still probably not enough unless one of those 12 is a win at Washington so really for Oregon State I think the goal should still be get one of those top four seeds for the Pac-12 tournament ideally the number two or number three seed so they could uh, avoid uh, playing Washington until the final. And then, you know, get 12 Pac-12 wins, make it to the tournament finals, see how you do against Washington. I mean, I'd say the Beavers would probably have a shot at that point, but really it it all starts with these two games in LA because I don't think the Beavers can go down there and and get swept. And really, I think that would basically be the end for them. So let's see if uh, Oregon State can at least get a split and, and hey, even if they can pick up two wins against a t- against UCLA, USC, a pair of teams they have already beat. So it's not like these are unwinnable games. The Oregon State women uh, are set to host USC on Friday, and uh, then they'll play UCLA on Sunday. Um, based on uh, really what we've seen all year, and particularly on Monday, uh, I'm I'm going to expect two more great great crowds at uh, at Gale Coliseum for these games. Well, thanks uh, again for tuning in to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Uh, Please check us out on ThatCast.com, iTunes, Spotify, uh, rate and review uh, so we can keep this podcast going. Uh, I'll be back next week uh, with some more baseball and basketball talk. We might even dive into some football with spring football coming up, uh, but we'll see how things go on that front. Anyway, once again, thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy 
all the games this weekend. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast Network podcasts and videocasts at thatcast.com.